Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. And I've actually put it off for several weeks. I've been meditating on this and just mulling this over for many weeks now. And I I just felt like today was going to be the day to release it. And what I'm going to share with you at the beginning of of this, I'm probably going to share many times. I want to share it so many times that you get sick of hearing it. (laughs) So that you can reiterate it, not necessarily memorize it or, or say it verbatim, but you will get the just of it and that you can re-emphasize it both to yourself, to people you are in contact with, and just in the atmosphere of the church, even when we come here on Wednesday nights and just begin to press in into his presence and press into his goodness. Um, <clears throat> I want to go over three, per- and at some point, I'm actually going to get this down on paper, so or or at least on slides so that it can so that you can download it even onto your phones cuz Tommy explained to you guys don't ask me how to do it I just know it's available that you can download the slideshows on your phones if you have a specific app a specific bible app and so I at least want to get get these prophetic words and these prophetic declarations on the slides so that if you choose you could have them downloaded onto your phone so you could have them in your own device so that you can go back over them. I want to, I I will let you know, we're not going to be able to get to all of this today. It's going to have to cover uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, It may even, like I told you a week or two ago, I've been doing some research and some study and some just digging into things, uh, uh, the topic of altars. And I've also been studying and digging into uh, the topic of prayer. Okay, and so this may lead into both of those uh, series of sermons of prophetic prayer and altars and the purpose of altars and such. But I want to give you three prophetic words um, and, and even use those as a basis to understand how for us to walk under an open heaven. That there is language both in scripture and in and in just charismatic Pentecostal circles that talks about open heavens. And if we're not careful, we will use a language that we don't understand. And we'll say things and we'll sing about things and we'll, we'll talk about things and we really don't have the knowledge uh, to back up what we are saying. And so uh, what we are going to be talking about today is open heavens and how do we walk as an individual as a family, and even as a church, it's, it, it can be adapted to all three uh, of walking under the open heavens. The first, the first prophetic word that I want to uh, share with you came back in June of 2021, and it came in the form of a dream, and it, it was actually from Yvette, and she was like, Pastor Mika, I got to share this dream with you. And we were sitting here, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was after a service. 
And so as we were, as she was telling it to me, I was like, hold on, let me grab my phone. I'm going to record it so that I can have it. And so I've been going back through different words and different dreams, and I'm not going to tell the dream from beginning to end, but I just want to highlight a couple things in the dream that I feel like the Lord has given a little bit of a revelation and revealed some things, and I'm seeking further revelation on some of the other. But she said in, this, in the essence of this dream, we were here in this church, and she and Tommy had been preparing something, and I won't go into all that part, but I had asked them to make something to use it um, kind of like an illustrated sermon. And so in the dream, they were preparing uh, the items that I had asked them to prepare. And in this dream, we are, we are here, and it was pre-service, and we're chatting about this whole thing. And she said, in the dream, in the back of the church, uh, she could see both my mom and she could see her mom, okay, because we are related. So her mom is my sister, for those that, in case you didn't know that. So my mom is her grandma, and her mom is my sister. <laughs> Say that 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so my mom, who is her grandma, was in the back of the church, and her mom, who is my sister, was in the back of the church. And they, they weren't involved. They were just there. She could just see that they were there. And then as, as the dream went on, and I, again, I'm, I don't, for the sake of time, I don't want to get all, into all that. It came to the point where the service now was flowing. The service was going. And she said the, the place was full. Every seat, every chair had a body in it to the place where people who are what we'll call the core members here was given up their seats and willing to sit in other places on the altar, some on the floor, and some of the old, or some of the younger ones were uh, volunteering to sit on the floor just because there was not enough chairs and different men were going back there and trying to pull out chairs, and so she was up here and she was sitting by the altar area in this area and she was just taking pictures. Because she, at that moment, she didn't, she no longer seen my mom and she no longer seen her mom. However, she knew that they were still here. She just could not see them. As I've been praying and seeking God for some revelation on this, I feel like God is showing that, that my mom, who was obviously my dad's wife, they were the founder of this church. They planted this church. They were, now this church building has been here an incredibly amount of time, but the church called New Life was founded by my father, and he was the apostolic uh, ministry of, of that church, and I believe my mom represented that, that uh, moment of it, that, that initiation of the planting of it, and then also would be the next generation, would be her mom, my sister. She was there, and she fulfilled her mission. And I believe they represented certain generations, if you will, or certain sects of time, if you will. And that generation did what they were supposed to do and being obedient and handed the baton off. And then that generation did what they were supposed to do and then handed the baton off. And they were still here, but they were no longer a part physically what was happening. 
And so she said as she was up here and she was just in amazement and she, she, because she didn't see her mom there, she was snapping pictures because she wanted to send them to her mom because she knew her mom would be excited and thrilled about what was happening. And she said the two, there, was, there was three main components that I went back and listened and jotted, jotted some things down to reiterate, and that was this. <clears throat> that there was, there was our core people was here. They, they were represented. But then there was an, a huge number of both Hispanic people and American Indian people. And so there was this influx of just different nationalities that were being represented as the Spirit of God was moving, because you have to understand during this part of the dream, we was already in church. She said Lacey was already in worship and exhorting, and the Spirit of God was moving. And she said, as I picked up my camera to begin to snap pictures to send to my mom, she said the thing that I noticed was that there was a ton of kids or younger people here, somewhere between 30 and 50 on top of the ones that all that are already kind of connected to the house. And she said after that is when she woke up. Now, there was several other components to the dream, but I'm just giving you the part that, that we need to know and understand. And to be honest with you, if I'm, telling, if I'm being honest, at the time, like I was intrigued by it and I was thinking upon it, but then it just kind of slipped away. And so that's one of the reasons I'm so glad I recorded it because in the last few months I've been going back to these things like this. And then if you remember, so that, that, is, that is the first one that happened in June 21, okay? The second one that happened is, was a prophetic word by Dr. Joyce, and thankfully, again, because of electronics, we was able to capture it and the audio of it. And so I went back, and, and I've had the gist of what she was saying but I wanted word for word verbatim what she, as she stood in the office of the prophetic on that Sunday morning in April of this year, if you remember, she was our guest speaker and we had just went through the first hundred days of the year and we were consecrating ourselves and, and we were ha having flows of fasting and praying and just different things going on. And as we approached the hundredth day of the year 2022, it happened to fall on, uh, what was the holiday? Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And so we invited her as a guest speaker to preach, and she, she moves in the prophetic. I believe, she, I believe uh, she humbly would not call herself this, but I acknowledge her. She is a prophetess. I, I believe she not just works in the prophetic. I believe she stands in the office of a, of a prophet. And her sermon was incredible. But then toward the end, if you remember and can recollect, she had Pastor Tim and I stand at the very, very end of her sermon, and she said, this is what I heard over the house. Now, you have to understand, she had us stand merely because we are the pastors. It wasn't something personal to us. She was just honoring our position as the pastors and that she was speaking it over the house, so it is for everyone. And so as we stood here, and again, I went back and got got some notes from it. She said this, God is moving us from a place of hearing to a place of seeing. 
that we have known how to hear God, but we haven't always known how to see the fruition of what we hear, but that God was moving us from a place of merely hearing into a season or a place of seeing. Because, and this is what she said, she said, hearing will move you out of your own land. If you hear from God, it will cause something to rise up within you to move out of your own comfort zone. It will cause you to move into places that maybe you never thought you had the ability to go or the things that you had the ability to do. Hearing God produces an obedience by faith that you will walk out of just this little four corners that you're used to. Do you understand what I'm saying? She said, so hearing will do that. But when you start seeing, this is what she said, hearing will move you out of your own land, but seeing will move you into his. And there's a big difference between walking out of your own comfort zone and begin to see the fruition of prophecy and promises and declarations that God has spoken, and you begin to walk in his realm. When I'm walking in my realm or my comfort zone, then I have to rely on myself making sure everything goes right. I have to rely on my own emotions making sure. I have to keep myself balanced. I have to keep myself afloat. I have to make sure that my mind is in the right place. I have to make sure everything is okay with my family. You understand what I'm saying? But when you start walking in the realm of the spirit or what she deemed as his land, then you don't have to do it anymore in your own strength. You just merely have to be obedient and walk with the spirit. And then he comes along with his strength strength, with his power, with, with his uh, anointing, and, and no longer are you carrying it, but you move to the place where it starts carrying you. And for the church as a whole, and I'm speaking specifically to this church, for the longest time, we have carried it. And when you carry something, after a while, it gets heavy. And when you carry something after a while, your physical body, your spiritual mind, even, even your emotions, it gets hard to bear it. Amen. But when we start walking into the place where he is carrying it and we are just simply along with it, now we're still going through the same trials. We still have the same body aches. We still have the same relational dysfunction. But now something is different because now I'm not carrying the burden of it anymore. But the Holy Ghost is doing what the old school church would say, coming up under and girding me. And I'm ready for the Holy Ghost to start carrying it for us. Woo! Debbie was speaking truth when she said she felt the Holy Spirit in here. This is also what she spoke about. Dr. Joyce said this, a hundred days of glory laid the foundation. She said, do not be discouraged at the foundation. You may have been expecting the whole building because you know how we are as humans. <laughs> we do one little thing and we think, there it is. It's all done. I'm just going to sit back in my recliner with my tea and there we go. God, do your thing. I'm just, I wish it worked that way. 
She said the hundred days was the foundation or laid the foundation. You may have been expecting the whole building, but it laid the foundation. She was using the scriptures of how Nehemiah went in and rebuilt the walls and how the, the temple got rebuilt. And she was using that frame to say that during that time, once they laid the foundation and as they were rebuilding, there was, there was two sets of people there. There was some people that, that were weeping because it didn't look like Solomon's temple. But there was another group of people that was rejoicing because they had never had a temple. There was one group of people that was comparing the new move of God to what God did in the past. And listen, what God did in the past was valuable, and we would not be here today had not God did what he did back then. But what I have noticed in God is as he does a new thing, he does it in circular motion, but it's always going forward. So there are times when it feels like you're retreating or you're going back, but all you're doing is getting a second wind. And you're coming around, and we, and we don't see it because it's circular in motion. And as he goes, he will grab things from the past, and he will bring it into our future, but it's not going to look exactly like that. And so you had two sets of, of people in this scripture that she was referencing, some that was comparing it to the old, and because they were comparing it to the old, their eye could not see and could not experience the joy of the foundation. But there was another group of people that was joyous over the foundation because they never even had a foundation. And so even something as simple as a foundation brought great freedom and great joy because they had never even had it. So she was talking about that, and she said this. She said there were mixed emotions. But there was a younger generation that was full of joy because to them having a foundation was a great thing. This is distinctly word for word what she said of a prophecy or a prophetic unction of the Lord. She said, I'm going, this, this would be God speaking, I'm going to raise up this house, a group of young people that are going to move forward with optimistic vision. They will rejoice in the small things God is doing, and that will release the greater things that he wants to do. And it's not just the current youth of this house, but God is going to send young adults and youth into this house, and they will, know, they will not know the old, so they will be free to run after the new. That was the prophetic utterance by, by uh, my mentor, Dr. Joyce. So now we have two prophetic words, and it hasn't even been a year yet about God doing something with another generation coming up and, and delivering the, not only just the foundation, but there was seasons in the past that the torch got passed on. And I'm telling you, you may not feel young today, but there is a reason you carry the torch. Because I know we have church in America at least that makes us the center somewhere along the line 
we have developed a church culture, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking broadly here now. We have developed the church culture to make it all about us. But I'm telling you, when the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost and when the water flowed out of Jesus' side, significing the birth of the church, it was not to be centered around us as individuals. It was to be centered around us as one corporate body or one corporate person becoming the bride of Christ and he is the bridegroom and the attention is on him. And when we start putting the attention back on Jesus, things start happening in our lives because he is a good God and he is not stingy. I don't serve a stingy God. He is generous in all things that he does. And when he gets the glory, then he says, listen, I'm not just going to receive it all to myself because I sit on a throne and I think I'm pompous. No, when you give me glory, I'm going to let it radiate back on and I'm going to let you walk in favor. I'm going to let you walk in peace. I'm going to let you walk in the desires of your heart because God is a good God. So that was the second one. The third one is, is real brief. So a month later, that happened in April, in May, I was out in Arizona. We was attending a specific conference out there, and I have friends out there. And so I had met up with them in Tucson. And as we were sitting there, there was a group of us there. And, you, you know, many of you know how, I'm going to use air quotes, y'all know Tim, right? <laughs> so it doesn't matter. If we're in church, it doesn't matter if we're in Applebee's. It doesn't matter if we're at home. When, when we start talking about God, like he's just going to be Tim. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The way you see him jumping up and down out here is the way you're going to see him jumping out on, on, in the lot over there handing out food on Thursdays. The way he's praying and tense in here, you're going to come by on Thursday from, from like 11 to however long they go, 6. You're going to see the same intensity because he just lets the Spirit of God move. When the Spirit of God shows up, he, he holds back. So him and my friend's husband, who is also uh, a, a training in ministry, and so they were communicating and the Spirit of God started. Now, now. My friends and I, we were just talking. Like, we weren't even for real talking about God. We were just talking and catching up. You know, we were just having fun. We were there to fellowship. Tim and the young, the young minister, they started talking about the things of God. And all of a sudden, as we're sitting there and we're just fellowshipping, you could sense the atmosphere just begin to change. Because they was talking about the things of God. And, and I, I just kind of peeked over because I have really, really good peripheral vision. And I just kind of peeked over and Tim, like tears are just streaming down his face. And I was like, what is going on at the table at Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> and so we just kind of got in on their conversation because you could distinctly tell so as the Spirit of God is now flowing as, we're, as they're eating salads and we're eating chicken and things of that nature, my friend, because here's, here's I'm going to prove my point, what I said at the beginning, that when the Spirit of God starts flowing, Amen. that's the time to reach up from heaven and pull down the things that you need. 
whether it be a physical touch, whether it just be a word from God, whether it be a sure up promise, whatever. When you have open heavens, that is the moment to not miss those opportunities. And can I just be pastorate for just a moment? There's many times that we here in New Life miss opportunities and Lacey is moving us into the spirit and the spirit begins to open up and because we don't want to press or because we don't want to push or because we don't like that song or because we have been standing too long, we miss opportunities when open heavens open up. And then on Tuesday, we're texting our friends saying, oh girl, whoo! I need some help today. The answer was on Sunday when the open heaven opened up. So we was experiencing an open heaven at Texas Roadhouse in Tucson, Arizona. And my friend, she just, she's just, I love her because she's just very sensitive to the spirit of God and, and just hearing the word of God. And she said, Pastor Mika, we hadn't been talking nothing like this. We had just been talking about stuff, chitter-chatter. She said, Pastor Mika, she still had her fork in her hand. She said, I hear the Holy Spirit right now. And here's what he's wanting me to tell you so that you will know it's confirmed. That God is going to raise up some young people in your church that's going to carry the fire and the spirit of God. So don't give up because God is raising up some young people and some juniors and some little kids. And they're going to carry the fire of God and the spirit of God. Three different people that have no connection really Their connection is just this. There's just people they know here. So I want to talk to us for a few moments. And again, don't get worried about the time because I'm not going to give it all to you today. I understand we cannot hold the capacity of this today. But I want to give you a little bit and some scripture about walking under open heaven. Because how many has ever had a prophetic word spoken to you as an individual to you or over you as an individual. So you understand what I'm saying. Either, you know, most of the time it comes from a pastor or an elder or something like that, somebody who, who understands the clarity of the voice of God, and, and they just prophesy it over to you. Raise your hand again and leave it up if you've ever had that happen so you understand what I'm saying. Okay, leave your hand up. I want you to only raise the other hand if that prophecy has not either been completely fulfilled or only partially fulfilled that there is at least some that like it's not a hundred percent so I want you to understand I want you to see look that's just about everybody that's just about everybody that there has been the Lord has spoken through a vessel through a man or a woman of God while there was an open heaven to declare to you something about your individual life that God intends to bring to pass or he has revealed it to make it known. And he doesn't do that just to give you a good sensation and a good moment and a good feeling at the moment. 
certainly it's a great feeling at the moment. And certainly there's a reprieve because our emotions are usually like what I told you before. We've been carrying a lot of things, whatever those things are. And then it's as if the open heaven comes and God speaks his prophetic word over us, or maybe the prophetic word comes from a scripture, but it just comes alive in your heart. It's not just a scripture anymore. It's, it becomes a rhema word or a promise of God. And, and, you, and, and you know that there's something different about that spoken word or that rhema word. So during this open heaven, you have to understand certainly there is a, a sense of release, if you will, or a sense of relief Oh, God has not forsaken me. God has not forgotten about me. God is not just busy running the creation of the universe, but he has now zoomed in on my little insignificant life, and he is speaking directly to me. And anytime that happens, our humanity will usually find relief in the divinity coming and speaking to us. And it, and it invokes our emotions, and sometimes we weep, and sometimes we fall down before the Lord, and sometimes we can't even speak because we just have no words, and we just have to sit there and meditate on it and think about it, and we write it down, and we mull it over, and we're like, God, what is it going to look like? And we think it's going to happen next week. And then when it doesn't happen next week or it doesn't happen next month, or God forbid it doesn't happen next year, or it doesn't happen in this decade. Because we don't know the timing of God, we get disgruntled, and here's what we do. We begin to ask God for another prophecy. Because we think prophecy is the answer. We think prophecy is the cure. And I'm telling you, put this up, Tom, prophecy is not the cure. Prophecy is actually the setup. <laughs> listen, if you've had somebody prophesy, and I'm talking, uh, listen, I realize some people are going to say things, and it's just not of God. I'm, not, I'm certainly not talking about that. I'm talking about the genuine words of the Lord, the genuine prophetic promises of God, the genuine promises of God that are based in the, in the Scripture. Though... <laughs> When those have not come to fruition yet, don't, don't think the answer is for another prophetic word. Because the first prophetic word either hasn't come all the way to fruition or maybe hasn't even started. We will get weary and we will long for what we felt at the time the prophetic word was given. Are y'all following me? We will long for that release. We will long for that relief. We will long for that, just that feeling of the manifested presence of God and the God creator through Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit speaking directly to our situation personally. We will long for that. There's nothing wrong for longing for that, that God put that desire in so that we would find him. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the cure. That is actually the setup. Because when prophecy is spoken over your life or it comes through the prophetic promises of Scripture, when that comes about, it is not only to align you up to the promise, but it is also to reveal to you the way and in which the attack is coming. And so when a prophetic word comes to fruition or when it comes about, 
the thing that we must do is we must somehow retain it, whether it be through audio, whether that be through writing it down, whether by telling somebody who has a great memory so that they can help you, somehow retain that word because once that word is released in the atmosphere, the enemy of your soul called Lucifer himself is going to dispatch his demons, is going to dispatch the enemies of God in the wickedness and is going to plot and strategically plan to get you out of alignment for whatever has been spoken into alignment. So prophecy is not the cure, it's the setup. It's actually the revelation so that you know beforehand that a fight is coming and I'm going to have to fight some devils and I'm going to have to fight against some flesh and I'm going to have to fight against some self-desires and selfish lusts. And so God gives us a peak in an open heaven and he says, Amika, and he delivers a dream, a vision, a prophetic word. And I'm like, whoo, God, you're so amazing. And then that moment subsides, and the feeling subsides, but the word is still prophetic and amazing and incredible. But as I'm walking, and I'm a part of this world, I'm a part of this culture, I don't see it yet. I've heard it, but I haven't seen it yet. And I'm walking, and now through the calendar of time, I begin to doubt. Because I heard it back here. And that can represent days. That can represent weeks, months, or even years. Because there are some things that God spoke to me in my 30s. Then now that I'm 51, I haven't seen it all yet. I've seen it in partials. But I'm telling you, as you age, sometimes it's easy to say, oh, maybe God really didn't mean that. Maybe I missed the opportunity. But I'm here to tell you, even if opportunities have been missed, God says, I can take all those things that were squandered away, and I'm God, and I'm big enough to even mash it into the last seven years of your life. That's what he talks about when he talks about redeeming the time. He doesn't necessarily put more days on the calendar. He doesn't necessarily have to elongate your life, although he can. But what he does is through his eyes of mercy and grace, he said, this is what I wanted her to walk in, and I'm going to come back here and I'm going to collect all these things. And I'm going to make sure that you have another chance to walk out obedience. And even if you only have three years left on this earth, Amika, because I said it, my word will not return back to me, boy. So he begins to set up things. But if I'm not careful, I will look back and I will listen to audio or I will read what I've written in, written in journals or whatever, however I wrote it down. And I'll be discouraged. And there's an understanding to the discouragement because we are all human and we all face things. We're all going to be subjected to illnesses or we're going to be subjected to rejection or we're going to be subjected to harmful things that happen to us that, that is completely unfair and we don't understand it. And it's because we live in a fallen world. We are a part of this world. You can read throughout Scripture 
the apostles, the disciples, many of the followers of Jesus had incredibly unfair things happen to them. But they still walked those things out because there was a prophetic word spoken over the church at large, over the first century church, but then even specifically over them as individuals. So there's a thing called open heaven. (coughs) Put put up Matthew chapter 3, Tom. When Jesus was about to enter into his public ministry, he hadn't been public up to this point. He's about to be baptized by John the Baptist. So as he is coming down to be baptized, it says this, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heaven, look, what happened? The heavens were opened up. And then opportunity happened. In the open heavens, listen, when Jesus was 12 years old, we read about in the scripture that he had left his mom and dad, his earthly mom and dad, and stayed when the feast was happening, he stayed at 12 years old. They came searching for him. They said, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Listen, at 12 years old, he knew who he was and what he was supposed to do. Okay? But because he was walking in flesh like we walk in flesh, he was going to experience everything that you and I would have to experience because he would have to have an understanding of this. So Jesus was not ignorant that he was the son of God. But he was going to have to experience everything that you and I would experience. Because we would, through a born-again experience, we would become spiritual sons and daughters of God. Jesus was the literal DNA son of God. And so it says, and as he comes up out of the water, behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him or just landing on him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven. When did the voice come? When there was an open heaven. When did the voice come? When Jesus was walking out the disciplines of his day. He knew he was about to enter into public ministry. And he knew that as a public minister in the Jewish culture that he was going to walk symbolically as a high priest. And the high priest, as in the spirit, he would have had to have been baptized both in the natural and in the spirit. So he humbled himself even as Jesus, the son of man, and also the son of God, he humbled himself to John the Baptist and said, you must baptize me. But notice it wasn't just baptism that caused an open heaven. And it wasn't him being in the temple when he was 12 years old that caused an open heaven. But there was a time when the open heavens opened up. And it was at that moment when the Father, God, spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus needed that within his own humanness. But the people also needed to hear that. And some heard it. And some was standing around there. They just heard noise. 
Because one gospel writer puts it like this, that they heard the sound, but it sounded like thunder to them. Why? Because they didn't, they were in the right place, but they didn't have the ears to discern what the opportunity was taking place. So Father God says, this is my loved son in whom I'm well pleased. Although Jesus knew who he was, and although Jesus knew what his purpose was for coming to this earth, he still had to experience what you and I were going to experience when we would walk on this earth. And so he had the prophetic declaration of Father God speaking, this is the one. This is whom I'm pleased in. He's my son. This is the end of chapter 3. We're not going to put this up, but as soon as you flip to chapter 4, Jesus goes right from there into a 40-day fast and into temptation of the devil, and the devil tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights, and this is what is said. As soon as the enemy comes to him, he says, if you are the son of God, wait a minute, God's already Jesus already knew it. And then you get to a point where the open heavens open up and God prophetically declares it. And the next thing you know, Jesus is in a 40-day fast. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drinking. He hasn't drank anything. He hasn't eaten anything. And he is deficient in all things as far as his human flesh. And the enemy is always going to come after you when you feel like you are deficient in things. That's why, that's why who you're connected to is important. Because if you are connected to deficient people and then the enemy comes at you in your time of deficiency, you better have a sister or a brother or somebody, a grandma, a husband, a friend, somebody that can come along and say, oh, no, I'm going to connect to you because understand this, God already said you were the beloved son. Satan, the one who tried to take the throne, was upset because this is the one who was about to sit on the throne. And he waited till Jesus in his humanity was deficient in some things. And he came up and he said, if you are the son of God, He did that three times. If you really are. What what does that have to do with us today? Because the prophetic word spoken over your life was just the setup. It should ring loud in your inner man that whatever was prophetically declared over you, whatever was prophetically declared over this church, I just read you three of them within the last 12 months. Where do you think the fight is going to come at? Come on, let's start putting some dots. How, how many is old enough to remember before you had Nintendo, you had connect the dots? <laughs> don't play, don't play, don't act like you're 30. I know some of y'all ain't 30 in here. You know what I'm talking about when I say connect the dots. You looked at this picture. All you seen was some little dots and a couple of lines. You're like, what the mess is this? But your job was to connect the dots. And as soon as you start connecting the dots, when you start, oh, that's a horse. Oh, that's a shepherd holding a little hook. 
got to start connecting some of the dots. Because as believers, what we are doing, and, and I realize I'm making a broad assumption here, but I, I feel like that this is pretty accurate. Looking at my own life and even just using some experience of the last 20 years, I feel like us as believers, we're walking around willy-nilly. And we have no goal, and we have no form, and we have no structure. And then we're saying, what happened to the church? What happened to God? How come God ain't doing what he said he wouldn't do? We got to start connecting the dots. God had an open heaven. He prophetically declared three times over this church, this is where the move of God is going to happen. It's God is going to raise up. I'm asking you, through the example and the life of Jesus Christ showing you what I just showed you, where do we need to start praying against? Think about that. How much of our prayer, and listen, I, I want you to understand that there's nothing wrong with this, but how much of our prayer is, God, I need you to touch me. God, I need you to move in my life. God, I need you to do this. God, I'm asking you to do that. God, I don't feel good. God, I don't sound good. God, I'm weary. Listen, and if all those things are true, certainly you can go before the Lord and he will meet your needs. I'm not saying to stop that. I'm just saying expand it. That when you get done praying and interceding over your need, that it's time to go even to another altar. And that altar is called standing in the gap. Standing in the gap for another generation. Standing in the gap for other people. Standing in the gap for other families. Standing in the gap for other people and other families and other friends and other, other just people who are maybe not even believers, but you are interceding for people three years from now. You're saying, God, this is what you said, and you didn't say it just for us to feel good. You said it so that we would be equipped to know where the battle's coming from. And when Satan always comes, he always misconstrues what God says. You see it in the Garden of Eden. You see it at Jesus' baptism. He didn't tell the whole truth. And if you will stop for a minute, you and I, when the enemy starts speaking... Hold on. Because just like God, because he tries to mimic God, God chooses to speak through his people, whether it be prophets, apostles, evangelists, elders, lay people, people who are prophetic. God chooses to use human mouths to speak through. The enemy will always replicate that. So when I say the enemy speaks to us, Nine times out of ten, he's not speaking to us in an audible voice. You know who he's speaking to us through? Another mouth. Y'all got real quiet on that. You was just shouting when God was speaking. Over here, we got our hands raised. This is church, open heaven. God speaks prophetically. We got tears and snot, and we can't even stand the presence of God. We're rejoicing. And then at some moment later, the enemy comes, but he don't come like we see in the cartoons with the little cartoon on your shoulder whispering in your That's not how he comes. How he comes is by that disgruntled co-worker. Yeah. 
or relative at, at the family reunion that you either took off work to attend or you left church to go see. You made the effort to do it. You show up to the family reunion, and there's Satan called Uncle Joe. I hope nobody has an Uncle Joe in here. He doesn't look like Satan. He looks like Uncle Joe. But because he's not standing under the open heaven, he becomes the mouthpiece that's going to attack what God spoke over your life. Yeah, come on now. Mm. Mm. So Satan comes in the very next chapter. Prophecy gives you or it highlights to you the goal of your promise. Let me give you just a little bit more and then we'll, we'll wrap up. But it also reveals to you the attack or the reason for the problem. So whatever God speaks over you, understand that it's important and imperative that you remember it because when you start coming into battles and you start coming into fights, you're going to know how to fight and what to fight. You don't have to just randomly fight and wear yourself out because the enemy is part of his strategic strategy is to try to get you to forget things. Hmm, that's why in our culture, we can't even hold our own attention long enough. We Look over the space of time, even entertainment knows it. Over the space of time, we used to love to watch trilogies. That was three hours apiece. And we would do it. Then they had to break it down to episodes and seasons. Then we had to break it down to just little 15-minute videos. And now we got 30-second videos. And if it doesn't grab our attention in the first five seconds, we're done. We're done. Why? Because we have, over time, trained ourselves to be so quick to move on and forget about what has happened. Y'all know I'm talking the truth. That we now replicate that behavior even in the spirit. That we forget about last Sunday. We forget about last week. We forget about the promises of God because we are so centered about what's happening now that if God doesn't grab our attention right away, we forget. Ah. Spirit of God ain't moving this service. Might as well sit down. No, we are to press, and we are to push, and we are to worship so that there can be an open heaven, so that we can experience the, the power and the love of God. I've got to get to this one point. I've got to get to this one point. So prophecy aligns you both with your prof, promise and your problem. It aligns you both with your promise and your problem. So how do we step into a divine appointment and take hold of the promise? How do we do that? We have to align ourselves up. Oftentimes we feel like, spiritually speaking, and, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, oftentimes we feel like we're in this spiritual waiting room and we're just waiting for the promise or the prophecies of God to just 
as if God is going to call our number and it's that direct time and that direct moment and we are next and he's going to call our number and boom, it's time for us to get up and just begin to walk into the things that God has promised or that God has declared. But that is not at all how the promises and prophecies of God come to fruition. When a prophecy is given, that means you and I are going to have to fight for it. That means you and I are going to have to work for it. Jesus didn't just stand in the baptism and just splash around in the water. He went and he started walking some of it out, and it was hard on his flesh. He was renewed in his mind, but it was difficult on his flesh. He knew exactly his calling and his purpose, but his flesh went through some things. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at this. This is Paul. I've been loving Paul's writings this last several months. He's talking to his son, Timothy. He says, this I charge, and I commit to you, son, Timothy. Look what he says. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you would wage the good warfare. In other words, you've already been prophesied over son, Timothy. He was a spiritual son. But as I'm hearing and as I'm seeing that you're using that as a memory, but I'm telling you to pick it up like a sword and fight against what is fighting you through the prophecy. Wage a good warfare. Because I know that I'm not going to get anywhere close to some of this stuff. Lacey, if you want to prepare and start preparing to get ready here. I want to give you a visual so you can take away today and, and understand and, and use it, what I'm talking about today. I have many scriptures that I just want to show you. We'll get to those things. Tim, come here. I'm going to just use you for a moment. You stand over here. Tim is going to represent God the Father. Put up, put up Revelation chapter 1, just so that they can visually see it. This is Jesus speaking in Revelation to John. It's the first time he speaks. He says this, I'm the Alpha, everybody say Alpha, alpha. and the Omega. And this is, what it, this is what it means, the beginning and the end says the Lord. I said the Father God. He's going to represent Jesus. He's going to represent the Lord. Look what he says. Who is? Who is? That's a current statement. Who is? Who was? And who is coming? I am Alpha, beginning. I am Omega, the end. I am currently now. I am who I was. And I'm still going to be who I'm going to be when you step into a future. I am all that. And I can't tell you how many times I've referenced this scripture, read this scripture, preached out of this scripture, and never noticed this last little word, the Almighty. I was like, when did John put that in there? Because I think my previous Bibles had that X'd out. I never noticed that because, you know, sometimes we can read a scripture so much and we can even quote it that we actually misquote the scripture and we're leaving prominent stuff out of the scripture. Jesus says, speaking to John, he says, 
I'm the alpha, I'm the beginning, I'm the omega. I am currently, I am who I was, and I am going to be even in the future. And then he stops for a moment and he says, the almighty. The almighty means this. Stay right there, Tim. The almighty means this. Let me find it. If you look it up in the Greek, it means this. He holds sway, authority, and power over all things. That's what that Greek word almighty means. He holds sway, authority, and power over all things. This particular word is not even a word. They had to take two or three words and put them together so that it would convey the meaning of it. It's spoken 10 times in the New Testament. Nine of them are in the book of Revelation talking about who Jesus the Lord is or God the Father is. The only other time out of the book of Revelation, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and it's when he's quoting God from the Old Testament. So all 10 occurrences is talking about God. He is, he was, and he's going to be. He is the Omega and he is the Alpha. Almighty. He has sway. He has power. He has influence. He has all power, all authority over everything. That's why he says, Almighty. Now that's just good in itself. But here's what we forget. He's saying this, and this is the part of the concept that we don't always realize. When he's speaking this, he's saying this, I am all of that, all at the same time. In other words, I don't have to run over here. Kimar, come here. I was going to use Deontay, but she might have a meltdown. I'm going to have you stand over here. He's going to represent a spiritual son in the faith, okay? Pastor Tim, if Pastor Tim took on the characteristics of God the Father, the Lord, I'm just trying to show you, okay, of Jesus, when he's speaking those things, leave Revelation 1 up there for me. Jesus doesn't have to leave his throne and run real quick. How old are you? He doesn't have to run to the year where Kemar is 17. Stand over here. Leave his throne and say, Kemar, it's going to be all right. I, I know you're facing some struggles. I know people in school look at you like just another statistic. It's going to be okay because I'm just, he don't have to do that. He can do that. Oftentimes he does do that because we are his sons and daughters and he wants to show us that kindness and that mercy. But he don't have, come here. He can do that and be here. And he can be there and he can be at the foundation of the earth being slain. And when Kemar, before he was ever born, Jesus knew exactly what Kemar was going to go through at the age of 17. Read the book of Jeremiah. He said, I knew you even when you was being formed. I knew you when you was even being formed. I'm going to pull in another scripture. 
It's like this. Have you ever read the scripture that says, and to each one he has given a measure of faith? Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we will think of it like a measuring cup. And we'll think, oh, he give us a measure of faith. I don't believe that that's how God measured it. I believe God measured it like this. What's those things called? Measuring tape. Thank you. Like a ruler. Y'all know I'm not a builder. And he did this. Why? Because he is, he was, and he is to come. He said, I know the end of things before the beginning of the thing. I know how you're going to end up before you even come out of the womb. I know what you're going to go through in those middle years even before you understand who really I am and how gracious I am and what I can do. And so what he does is he measures out enough to get to Kemar knowing that he's going to have hills and mountains and valleys. Knowing he's going to have failures and faults and disgruntlements. And he's like, that's all right. Because I'm giving you enough. Because I'm already at the end. And I've seen the end from the beginning. And so when an open heaven comes out. And the open heaven happens. And the manifested presence of God comes. And the Holy Ghost begins to speak through somebody or someone or through Scripture and says, Kemar, the Lord's hand is upon you, and you're going to deliver the gospel of the good news. Be aware and starts prophetically declaring over this young man's life. God knows everything that's going to happen in here, but he don't always show us that part. He only tells us, I'm going to use you to spread the gospel. But he doesn't tell us that we're going to be rejected by our family. He says, I'm going to use you and my power is going to come out of you because I am almighty. But he doesn't tell us all the times that we're going to be rejected by the culture and by society. He doesn't tell us about all the lonely nights that we're going to cry on our pillow. He doesn't tell us about all the times we're going to feel ostracized. He doesn't tell us about all the times that our physical body is going to be in pain. He doesn't tell us all the times when we're crying and we're saying, God, I'm so anxious and depressed. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And he says, Mika, Mika, keep you're going to make it because I've already given you a measure of faith. I've already given you enough to get to the end. All of us, he's already given you enough to get to the end. What is the end? Ultimately, the end is him. Ultimately, the end is him. But in this life, Sometimes the end is the fruition of the prophecy. In this life, sometimes the end is the fruition of the promise that he has declared. He's already given it to you. He's already given it to you. So what we have to do, let me show you this one last thing. What we have to do, I want you to turn toward Pastor Tim, 
in our journey and in our walk, we say yes to the prophecy. We say yes to the promise. We sense his presence. We sense his power. We say, God, do with me as you will. I am your servant. I am your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your creation. Do with me as you will. And we say yes, and we start walking. We start walking. But I'm telling you, when the open heaven come and the prophecy came forth, Jesus and John the Baptist wasn't the only one that heard it. Satan heard it. And what happens in our life? What happens in our life is Satan says, I know if I leave you alone, you're going to make it there. Because God already said I've put in you enough. Why? Because I know the end from the beginning. When Joseph had a dream, Joseph dreamt. What was his dreams about? That corn stalks and wheat was going to bow, representing his brothers. The next dream, stars and the moon was going to bow to him. What did that represent? That his brothers and even his mother and father were going to someday bow to him. Joseph was a young boy, probably about the age of Kimori. He was a young man. God did not show him all the trash and murderous spirit of his brothers. God did not show him the grieving hours that he was going to grieve in a prison. God did not show him the fact that even while in prison, God was sharpening his discernment to minister other people who had dreams. God, God used all the places in Joseph's life. Why? Because he was taking Joseph from being a dreamer to actually being the interpreter of the dreams. He said, I've already given you. But God didn't show him all this stuff in between. What was Paul talking about in that scripture in 1 Timothy? Timothy, the prophecies that's already been spoken over you, pick them up and use them as a warfare and fight the good fight. Fight them. Use them as a sword and fight. What is he doing? In other words, he's saying there's going to come some things in your life as you have said yes, and you're going to get to that. You're going to get to that place in God. You're going to get to that promise in God. There's going to be some things that you're going to have to fight through. In our culture, hold that up, brother. Don't you be proud. You know. In our culture, that's what we have to fight through right there. Other generations, they had to fight other things. They had to battle other things. But I'm telling you, in our culture, this right here, this has dulled our senses. This has taken our time. And we're going to have to still say yes and say, God, and what we have to decide is, is this worth fighting for over that. And sometimes we are bold and we say, God, I'm laying that trash down. It's good. We need to have it. We got to have it. You can't live without it. But it's not going to be my Lord. You know what? Another thing we have to fight in our culture
lounge, lounge. I want you to lamp. There you go. There you go. This right here is another thing we have to fight in our culture. I wish I, wish I had a blanket and a pillow. Oh, I don't want to get up. I'm just, there you go. We, people before us, they had to fight other things. They had to fight other battles. But we as a believing generation in 2022, we have to fight this and we have to fight this slumber. We have to, we have to fight laziness, slumber, apathy. We have to fight those things. Why? We have to decide in our mind, is this worth more than what he said over my life? Is this worth more than what God prophesied? And if it is, then you got to stand up. Sometimes it's going to take sheer discipline. Sometimes it's not going to be the spirit of the Lord. On a Tuesday when you could easily go to bed and it's time, it's, it's five o'clock in the morning and God is nudging you, just saying, come be with me. Come sit with me. Oh, God, I don't want to. I just went to bed at midnight. We got to decide. And what we have to do is through worship, through prayer, through all the things that we know as spiritual discipline, this is what we do. Put your arms up like this. We're pressing in. We're pressing in. We're pushing in. Most of the time, it's not by our strength because God says, I've already given you enough faith to make it here, but you're going to have to push. It's not always going to feel good, but it's, you're going to have to press and you're going to have to push to get to here. This represents the presence of God. This represents the glory of God. It represents the fruition of the prophecies and the promises. Stand with me. Miss Debbie, did you have something to say? Rabakia. Yes, we do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, all over the building, just raise your voice, raise your hands. We're going to dismiss you because.